back and in here in the hall as well. So uh, if you haven't turned them in, uh, they go inside the boxes, the one that's here, and also there's one in the gym. So you can fill them out, fold them up, and place them in there. Uh, we have two announcements of some upcoming opportunities for outreach, and I would first like to call up our children's director, Miss Molly Moore. Yes. I have to stay here with her because you never know. I got spe- what? I got special music. Good morning. Good to see all of y'all. Okay, so you probably figured out by now that we are not having a fall festival. We really wish we could. And so in order to be spurred on, Miss Missy Cruz came up to me and said, we got to do something. And so I went, fine. No, anyway, so we've come up with a plan. So here's the thing. On Halloween, this Saturday at 5 o'clock, we're going to have a candy toss parade in the surrounding neighborhood. So we have like four starting points, four trucks. They're going to drive through the neighborhood, and we're going to toss out bags, goodie bags of candy. So each of them are going to have a Gospel of John and some information about our church and then lots of candy. So we're all excited that we get to do this. It'll be an easy way to just try to get out there and in the community and share a little bit with them. So here's the thing. If you are interested at all in helping with this, we need some extra volunteers to do the little candy toss and ride in the back of a truck. We'll be very careful. Or walk beside the truck, one or the other. But if you're willing to help, please dress up in a fun way, if all possible, nothing creepy, and show up at the church at 4.30 this Saturday. So be here at 4.30. We're going to, it will not take long. We start at 5, we drive through, we throw a little candy out to the kids, and we come back. So please, if you can be here, let me know just so I can kind of have an idea if I've got to wrangle more guests. But, um, and also I need one more truck. Anybody that's interested, I need one more truck. And that is it. Thank you so much. Great opportunity to be a part of our community this weekend. We're going to have another update and reminder about Operation Christmas Child for Miss Audrey Gillis. So we can get an update on that. Good morning. I'm glad to see all of you this morning. I just wanted to um, remind everybody about our shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. We're going to start collecting them next Sunday, the following Sunday, which is the 8th, and the last Sunday will be the 15th. As you walk out, if you walk out this way, you'll already see four boxes that are already there. So we're excited. Somebody beat us to the punch. But when you bring your boxes, you will put them right outside the office and you will just stack them up. Really excited about the opportunity that we have to bless children all around the world. Most importantly, about the materials that they'll get, the greatest gift, the Bible that they'll all receive. And then this is actually the Bible study that they'll go through with a pastor in their tongue. Also, it's one of those things that for those of you that have not been able to come back to church yet, please know that you can be involved with this too. By sending a check to the church, you can make it to Operation Christmas Child, and that money will actually help to go for all of this extra material. If you have questions, there are still some boxes in the very back of the church to the right behind where Mike and Jenny, Jenny's about to hold one. There are still some back there. If they're out and you need one, please see me. There's some more in the church. Now, I'm about to throw a big curveball, and I need you to go sit down, please. Grady, please don't freak. We um, just um, want to say thank you. We want to bless you. And we know that this is um, out of your uh, comfort zones for you and Molly and CJ. 
but you need to know that you're loved. She's crying already. Okay, I can breathe now. First of all, seriously, we want to thank the shepherds of our church, Brady, CJ, Molly. It's been a tumultuous year, to say the least. But first of all, we want to say thank you, E-W-E, from your flock. It had music, but we had a little history. not quite over. <laughs> we are just so, so thankful. I, I, truly, I'm trying not to cry, and I'm, be, I'm silly because I try not to cry, but we want to honor all of you. Um, Nikki's not here, so we're going to give her some flowers. We've got flowers for Julia and a Starbucks gift card for Dan. And for you three, for CJ and Molly and Grady, we've got a $300 Visa gift card, Chick-fil-A gift cards, words and cards of appreciation that are in these boxes and for Grady and Julia we've also purchased a $500 Marriott gift card that's available at any of the PCH resorts I've given you a list in the box um if you call me I can get you an RSA discount but (laughs) and uh it's good for two or three nights depending on where you choose to stay but we just really really everybody has given and and been a part of this as you can see and we really 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 appreciate all of you and love you so much let's give them a round of applause for clarification 
Erin did not participate in the organization because she said you hated this. So I took it upon myself. You're welcome. Oh, thank you, guys. I'll try not to cry now, too. But, I, yeah, we're, we're, we're so thankful you guys can be seated. It's, I mean, we're just... I'll speak up for Molly and CJ say something they want to, but we're so thankful to be here, guys. We love you all, and it is an absolute joy to get to be your pastor and to get to shepherd you and to walk this journey with you. And for the way that you shepherd me as well, the way we're all in this together just is so precious. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be like, and we're just so thankful for that. So, um, yeah, I'm caught off guard. This wasn't on the script for the morning, and... (laughs) It wasn't on the agenda for keeping the service to 70 minutes straight, but um, we're. <laughs> he said Operation Christmas Child. <laughs> but no, we, we are we are so thankful to get to walk this journey with you guys and love you all. And just again, can't say thank you enough for the joy it is. CJ? Well, I'll finish my duty. <laughs> Sorry. As you can tell, I'm the emotional one. He is not. Um, that's okay. Um, yeah, that meant a lot. And just some of them, I love Psalm 23. As many of you know, it's my heart. I'm teaching the youth right now. So just seeing the sheep just really hit me good. So, uh, but yeah, I love you guys. And it's an honor to, uh, to be here and to be a part of this body. So two more announcements, <laughs> if I can gather myself. <laughs> Real brief. Um, tonight we uh, have an opportunity to pray again, come together at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Uh, we've had some precious times over there every Sunday morning at 8 a.m., praying for you, praying for this body and what God's doing in this city, um, just all the Lord desires to do. So tonight, it's every other week, tonight at 4 p.m. in the sanctuary, uh, a great group gathered last week. We invite you to come back for a time of prayer from 4 to 5. And also next Sunday night, something that's really dear to my heart, uh, we've been a part of this for a few years now. The big Awaken event that's been down at the Biscuit Stadium is now, because of COVID, been moved to Fraser. And so next Sunday night at Fraser, um, from 6 to about 7, 7.15, will be a time of worship, intercession, and prayer for our city, for the River Region, as the one church comes together in Montgomery to worship the Lord and to stand in the gap. I ask you to stand now as we uh, want to read the word and just declare some words over us before we worship the Lord. First Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy begot us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, unto an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who by the power of God are guarded through faith unto a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's sing about our living hope this morning. Souls to him belong. 
Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives, and what reward will heaven bring? An everlasting life with him, there we will rise to meet the Lord, and sin and death will be destroyed, and we will be in the storm, when Christ is ours forevermore, and over sea, hallelujah, our hope springs eternal over sea, hallelujah, now and ever Christ, our hope and life and death, and those seen, hallelujah, our hope springs eternal over sea, hallelujah, now and ever we confess, Christ, our hope and life and death. Now never we confess Christ our hope in life and death.
sing that again. We exalt. Let's pray together. Father, what a gift it is to come together and to sing these praises to you. God, our world uh, is dark and it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day things, in the lives that we deal with, and all of the things that we're supposed to be doing, God. It's easy to get stuck there and we're so grateful opportunity to come together and to cast our eyes upward, to proclaim your glory to one another, to exalt you, to set our eyes on you. And when we set our eyes on you and set our hearts on you, the things that we deal with, Lord, they come into that context and we will find that we have the strength because you've given it to us, not by anything that we've done, but by fact that you've called us and you have blessed us. And Lord, as we go into these prayer requests and bring them before you, it is not a shift in worship. It is an acknowledgement that we do not have the capacity on our own to handle these things. We confess them to you and say, Lord, help us. Help us, God. We need you. We need you to intervene. We need your spirit to lead our hearts to you. We ask you for your guidance and your wisdom that your word, your glory would be proclaimed in this earth. And so as for our families here at Gateway and in our community that are still managing school in the age of COVID, somewhere between virtual and in-person and all of the extracurricular activities and other things going on, Lord, it is a lot to manage. And Lord, we just pray for blessings on these families, on our families, that we would turn our hearts to you that, Lord, we would do the things you've called us to do. But, Lord, that we would not uh, get so stressed and worried, God, that we miss the sight of who you've called us to be. We pray for Lenny and Debbie Dixon. We're so grateful for uh, Shepherd staff and the continued ministry we have them as they reach the people in our community, Lord. Bless them. Give them rest and peace as they continue to take your word and your love to people. God, they continue to give. Lord, as we support them, as we give alongside them, God, give us a perspective of your glory in these moments and that you would bless Lenny and Debbie specifically as they've led us in this ministry. 
God for Pastor Dwayne Rembrandt and Flatline Church over in Chisholm and that ministry that continues to grow and have an impact in that community. We pray for them, God, that the lost would be found. God, that the sick would be continued to be healed, that those who have no hope would be given hope by the work that you're doing in that church. For Taylor and Sarah Fox as they take a ministry in a very different context in Strasbourg, France. God, to a culture that has had a long history of Christian, with Christianity, but whose hearts are darkened toward you. Continue to work with, through Taylor and Sarah as they continue to take their the gospel forward to those college students and young people there. We want to pray for the unreached people, the Ampanang of Indonesia, who practice an animistic religion of ancestral worship. God, we know that there are uh, missionaries and work going on in, in Indonesia, and we pray that that would reach this group of people through education, through medical care, and through the trade of fishing and farming. God, continue to use those earthly resources for your heavenly kingdom. God, we pray uh, for our offering today as we, uh, as we give, Lord, as we return back to you what's already yours, and you've said, give that to me, that's mine. And Lord, it's all yours. So we will give with open hearts, God. Help us understand that everything is a gift from you. And for our elder election, uh, Father, we just pray for your wisdom and your guidance on uh, as we take this next step for the people who are being nominated uh, and go through this next process, Lord. We submit that to you for your glory. And finally, for Grady, we also submit him as our pastor, as our shepherd, for your glory. As he shares the word today, God, give us open ears and open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll try again. There we go. Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you again this morning. I want you to find James chapter 4 in your copy of God's Word. James chapter 4. As you find James 4, I ask you, do you ever struggle with looking inward to see the depth of your sin? Do you ever struggle with either finding the time to or even wanting to pause and gaze inward to see the depth of our own sin? I know that's not an upbeat, happy question to get us started with for the morning. And honestly, it's a type question that our hearts want to run away from. It's not the type question that makes us feel good to think about our sin and how deep our sin goes into our life. It's a question we need to go deep on. Friends, in the culture we find ourselves in, it's so easy to compare ourselves to the world around us and think we're doing okay and to not take time to reflect and see the depths of our sin. We even get very creative and change terms for sin to try to make it not seem so bad. Have you ever noticed how we do that? Instead of talking about adultery, we call them affairs. Instead of talking about deception, we talk about bending the truth. Instead of talking about being angry, simply angry, we talk about, well, I'm just a passionate person. Instead of talking about our sinful anxiety, we talk about, I'm just a little bit worried. Instead of being fearful, simply fearful, we talk about we're just on edge. Instead of not seeking God, we just say life is busy. Instead of not being merciful, we say, oh, that's not my gifting. We come up with so many creative ways to try to ignore the depths of our sin. And God knows our tendency to do that. So scripture after scripture after scripture we come to holds up a mirror to us. And that mirror helps us look inward to see the reality of our sinful condition, to show us who we really are, to give us a reality check about our nature. I just want to remind you, as we look at scriptures that deal with our sin, they really confront us with two major types of sin in our life. And I want to remind us of this because this has a lot of bearing to our text today. The first type of sin that scripture kind of helps us see in our life is what we call sins of commission. 
sins we commit, sins we do. To commit something is to do something. So when we do a sin of commission, we are doing something that God said not to do. We're saying something that God said not to say. We're thinking something that God said not to think. Sins of commission are what our minds typically go to. These would be things like lies, sinful anger, sexual sins, anxious thoughts, worry, fear, all those type things would be sins of commission. There's a second type of sin that Scripture shows us, and this is the ones that I think we tend to overlook too often. Those are the sins of omission. To omit something means you don't include it. So if you're, for students, if you're in school and you're writing a paper and you omit a page of your paper, your paper doesn't make sense, and all of a sudden now you haven't passed it, right? You've omitted something. You're cooking, and you omit an ingredient, and it doesn't quite turn out right. The sins of omission are where we omit something from our lives. We do not do the good things that God commands. We do not do the things that God requires. And it's so easy when we do pause to gaze inward to our sinful condition. It's so easy to overlook sins of omission. And so James knows our tendency to do this. And so he's told us very plainly through the first four chapters, thing after thing after thing that God requires us to proactively do. Not just the things that we're not supposed to do, but the things that God requires us to be pursuing, to 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 do be doing as well. Now, he's going to tell us what God's perspective on when we fail to do the good things that God requires, he's going to show us these sins of omission this morning and call our attention back to that. So we come to just one verse this morning. As you finish up James chapter 4 this morning, we come to verse 17. So we read it together. I want you to just be looking for what is God's perspective on sins of omission in my life? What is God's perspective in our lives when we choose to not do the good things God requires. So let's look at James chapter 4, verse 17. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Just one short verse this morning with a lot of truth, though, for us. James chapter 4, verse 17. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. The words will also be on the screen for you. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your Word. Lord, we're thankful for the verses that encourage us and lift us up and give us such hope. But yeah, God, we're also thankful for verses like this that hold up a mirror and show us the, really the painful reality of our sin nature and our struggle with sin. And I pray that these verses like this today, you would use to sanctify us, to grow us, Lord, for your glory, that you would be shaping us more and more to the image of Christ. So would you use your word this day to reveal to us blind spots in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, that you might conform us more and more to the image of Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Friends, this is a very fitting verse as we prepare to celebrate communion at the end of the service this morning because it's a verse that makes us look inward and think about our struggle with sin. So here's what I want you to see this morning. Here's the main idea of this text, and it's simply this, friends. Our ongoing sins of not doing the good God commands reminds us of our desperate need for grace. Our ongoing sins, friends, this is a daily struggle for me and for you. It's a daily struggle that we all face as followers of Christ of not doing the good that God requires, the good that God commands. And when we come to that reality, it reminds us of our desperate need for grace. This is not a verse that's designed to make us work harder. This is not a verse that should make us have more white-knuckled determination to try harder to be holy. This is also not a verse that's to lead us to despair, to go, woe is me, my life is so messed up, what will ever happen? This is a type verse that's designed to help us peer into our own heart and see our sinful state and see all the good things that we fail to do to drive us to run to Christ, to drive us to cry out for his grace to change us. Our ongoing sins of not doing the good God commands reminds us of our desperate need for grace. Now let's kind of unpack that this morning. First of all, realize this is written to us. This is written to believers, to you and me. Look at verse 17 again, and notice the audience in view here. So, 
whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it. For him, it is sin. The whoever in the him here, this is us, friends. This whoever is not anyone in the world. What's in view here is very qualified. The audience of this particular letter in this verse is whoever knows the right thing to do. He's addressing followers of Christ, which has been his audience throughout this whole letter. Those of us who've received the word of God, who believe the word of God, and because we have the word of God, we know God's standard, we know the right thing to do. So he's talking to us. It's a warning to those of us who have access to the word of God, who say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm believing in this. This is a warning to us who say, yes, I believe this. Now it's a warning for us of, are we going to do all that God has told us to do? Now look at God's standard for us in this verse. So whoever knows the right thing to do. Now this word right in the Greek is the word kalos, and it literally means good or beautiful. So you can really translate this verse, whoever knows the good thing to do, whoever knows the beautiful thing to do. Now you've seen this word before, this should sound somewhat familiar to us. We've seen it before in James chapter 3 verse 13, so this was a few weeks back, we saw it in this. He was talking about who is wise and who is understanding among you by his good conduct. Exact same word in Greek, though it's translated right in our current verse in good here. By his good conduct, by his right conduct, by his beautiful conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. This word should also, <coughs> excuse me, sound familiar from our study of, <coughs> excuse me, of elders that we looked at just a few weeks ago. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, we looked at this and looking at the qualifications for elders, things that you've been thinking about as you've been praying on who should help lead this church and shepherd this body. We saw that an elder must be well thought of. Now, in our English, it doesn't look like the word good is there, but this literally means that he must have a good reputation. He must have a callous, a beautiful, a good, a right reputation by outsiders. The exact same word is in that text. So we're being called as God's people to do good things, to do right things, to have beautiful things in our life. And that's to be one of the qualifications for those in leadership. So go back to verse 17 here this morning. So everyone knows the good, the beautiful, the right thing to do. Again, this is God's standard for us. And his standard is doing good things, not just doing the wrong. Now think back to our study of Ephesians last year, if you were with us when we were working through Ephesians last year. We saw two important things about walking in godliness. To walk in godliness, we had to put off our sinful behaviors. We need to put off, we need to remove from our life, stop doing those sinful things, those sins of commission. But we saw in that study of Ephesians that that is not holiness, that is not Christ's likeness to just put off. We also had to put on, we had to replace those sinful things with the Christ-like virtues by doing what was good, what was right, what is beautiful. That's the same idea here, that God's standards for us is not just stop lying, God's standard is to put on the beautiful thing of speaking the truth in love. God's standard is not just don't get angry. God's standard is to put on care, concern, gentleness, and, and compassion for one another. So that raises the big question for us. What are all the right things, the good things, the beautiful things that God requires of us? Now, friends, I think over the years, some people have made this verse too mystical and trying to figure out, well, what God wants me to do in this situation. Well, that's not the focus of this verse. Now, yes, it is good for us to seek the Lord's direction in all things. Yes, it's good for us to pray and ask for wisdom. We saw that in James 1. It's good for us to allow the Holy Spirit to redirect us and to even change our schedules when the Holy Spirit prompts us for that non-believer we know to go share Christ with them at a particular time or God makes us aware of some need and for us to step out in faith and to go meet that need or to pray for that person he prompts us to pray for. It's good to do those and the Holy Spirit can do those things, but that's not the focus here. The focus of this verse is less on the subjective 
of what are the right things for us. And this focuses on the objective, what God's standard, what God's unchanging word says to us. We kind of miss it in the terminology, but to his original audience, remember he was writing to Jewish background Christians, they would pick up on the terminology, the phraseology very quickly here because the concept of doing the good, of doing the right, was a concept that the Jews meant doing what the law said, doing what the scripture said. So when they heard this phrase, that you know the right thing, the good thing to do, they would immediately go back to knowing what the law said, knowing what the scripture said. So this verse is not a call for us to try to figure out what the right thing is to do on a wisdom issue. This verse is a call for us to know what God's word says in all things so we know his standards, so we know what our lives are to be ordered around. So what are the good things that God requires us to do? Well, think about James so far. Just in this one book we've been looking at for the last 30-something weeks, what are the good things God requires of us? He's told us we're to have joy in trials. We're to let trials mature us. We're to do the good thing of asking for wisdom. We're to do the good thing of being quick to listen to other people. We're to do the good of visiting orphans and widows. We're to do the beautiful things of loving our neighbor as ourselves, of having good conduct. We're to do the right things of being peaceable and gentle and open to reason and being impartial and sincere. We're to do the beautiful things, the good things of submitting ourselves to God and drawing near to God, pursuing knowing him. Even just what we saw last week, we're to do the good thing of submitting our plans before a sovereign God and trusting his direction, ordering our lives under the sovereignty of God. And that's just in James so far. We're not even done with the book yet. We think back to even our study of Ephesians. What are the good, the right, the beautiful things that God requires of us? Well, we're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We're to pursue holiness. We're to be humble. We're to be gentle. We're to be patient. We're to pursue unity with one another. We're to be doing ministry. We're to speak the truth and love to one another. We're to do honest labor and work hard. We're to speak words that build up. We're to be kind and tender heart and forgiving. We're to walk in love. We're to expose sin. We're to make the best use of our time. We're to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to sing together. We're to give thanks always and for everything. We're to submit to one another. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are to respect their husbands. Children to obey their parents. And to top it off, we're told to pray at all times and all occasions. That's just from two of the books of the Bible we've walked through the last two years. Just a sampling of the good, the beautiful, the right things that God requires of us. So you want to try to pull all that together. What does God require us to do? Not just to put off sin, but what does he require us to put on? Matthew 22, 37 to 39, the great commandment kind of summarizes what the good, the right, the beautiful is to be in our lives. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, all these things we've seen in James and Ephesians and our other studies really boil down to the good that God calls us to do is not just putting off sin. We need to be doing, putting off the sinful things that we commit. We need to be putting on, we need to be seeking to not omit from our lives, loving God with our whole being and loving one another as we love ourselves. And the second part of loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, Paul hones in this in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, he tells us this, let us not grow weary of doing good. Now, this word good is the same word that we just translated good and right in James. We should not grow weary of doing what's right. We should not grow weary of doing what's beautiful. Because he knows our heart. It is hard to do the good, the right, the beautiful. It takes a lot of intentionality, a lot of effort, and it can become really wearisome trying to love God and love others, right? So he says, don't grow weary of doing good, right, beautiful, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And then verse 10, he expands it a little bit more. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to how many people? How many people? Oh, everyone. 
and especially those of the household of faith. So he's saying, okay, this calling we have to not just to put off sin, but to put on doing good, we're to do this to everyone that we meet, and we're to do that with a special, a special intentionality and focus to fellow believers, that we're to seek to do what's good and right towards one another. Whereas this is an incredibly high standard. Do good in loving God. Do good in loving others to everyone we meet. And James reminds us what we saw some weeks back, that we don't get to pick and choose. We can't be like, okay, I'm going to do the good of loving my wife, but I'm not going to do the good of being patient with my kids. We can't pick and choose. I'm going to do the good of caring for that person in need, but I'm not going to do the good of having to go help that person because that's outside of my comfort zone. We don't get to pick and choose which part of the commands we obey. So James chapter 2, verse 10, let me just remind us of what James has already told us. Whoever keeps the whole law, again, think of all the things we're not to do, but all the things we are to do, the good also, but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. The law of God as a whole, it's a totality, and so we have to obey what God has said to do. And so James gives us a warning about failing to obey, including the good we're supposed to do. Back to verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it. And whoever knows God's standard, whoever says, I'm a follower of Christ and can see his standard here, but chooses not to do it, whether willfully out of selfishness or sometimes forgetfully because of idols in our life, meaning we prioritize other things, whatever the reason, we're warned about failing to do these things. And friends, this warning should sound familiar. James chapter 1, verse 22, we've already seen a warning similar to this. We're told to be doers of the word, to do those good things that God's calling us to do, not hearers only. It's very easy to hear, oh yeah, we're to be gentle and peaceable and seek unity and to love one another and forgive one another. But we're told not just to hear, we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Likewise, James chapter 2, verse 14 gives a similar warning. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And we saw when we studied that text that no, a faith that does not transform us cannot save us. A saving faith really changes us. And yet, friends, we come to the reality check that our lives are full of this. How often do we neglect to love God as we should? How often do we neglect to love one another as we should? How often do we neglect to speak the truth in love, to confront sin, to encourage other people, to help other people? How often do we neglect to even do this in our own homes? And for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and for wives to respect their husbands, and for children to obey their parents, and for the parents to disciple their children. Friends, we have ongoing failures to do the good God requires. And notice how God calls these failures. Verse 17 again. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. It is sin when we, do, not just when we do the things we're not supposed to do, it is just as much sin to God when we fail to do the good things that God requires. Can I remind you, sin means missing the mark. It means not meeting God's perfect and holy standards, disobeying God. And friends, let me just remind us, God will hold us accountable. He's made his will very clear to us. The scriptures are clear. There's no guesswork in terms of what God's will is and his plan for us. He's laid it out right before us here. And he will hold us accountable, not just to study it and read it, but to do it as well. So why does God give us hard texts like this? Friends, why does God give us texts like this that remind me of how short I fall and obeying God. How short I fall in loving God as I should. How short I fall in loving other people as I should. Why does he confront you and I with texts like this? Friends, by itself, a text like this could easily lead us to despair, couldn't it? If all we have was this one verse and nothing else, it'd be easy to throw up our hands and be, who can do this? 
who could live a life of seeking to do good to everyone they meet, of loving God with their whole being. And so God holds up a mirror to our soul with texts like this, not so we despair, but also it's not so we do the other extreme of trying harder, of white-knuckle determination, going, I'm going to do better loving God this week. I'm going to do better loving my family this week. This is not a call for us to try harder. He gives us texts like this to drive us to see our dependency on him, to drive us to run after him because I can't change myself and you can't change yourself. It's a text that's designed to drive us to see our need for grace. So we come to a hard verse like this that just seems almost overwhelming. We have to go back to the context and go back to chapter 4, verse 6, the key verse of this whole book of James. But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That God gives us texts like this so we run to him seeking his grace to change us. Remember, we talked about that. This is his sanctifying grace, his grace that makes us more like Christ, his grace that helps us overcome those sins of commission, the wrong things we're doing, but it's also his grace that changes our heart's desire to where we want to do the good, the right, the beautiful things that he calls us to do, and where we find the strength to start stepping out and doing those things that we didn't think we could do because he's given us his Holy Spirit, he's given us grace upon grace, and he delights in doing that. So that raises the last question for us for today. How do we receive that grace? If texts like this show me and show you how far from God we are in terms of our holiness, because there's so much good that we've been called to do that we're not doing, we see our need for grace, how do we receive it? One simple word that we've talked about before in our study of James, we repent. We humble ourselves before God and we repent. Now, if you remember, we saw this when we looked at chapter 4, verse 8 to 10, but I'm going to remind you, repentance involves several things, and this is so important even for us to reflect on as we get ready for communion. If we repent, when we see areas of our life, friends, to where here's God's standard for the good he requires, and we're way down here, when we see that gap between who God calls us to be and where we are, what do we do? We repent. Repentance involves several things. Number one, it involves recognizing our sin. That's what texts like this are for, to help us see areas to where we're sinning and don't even realize we're sinning. Because we come face to face with the fact that God's told me to do certain things, and I'm not even getting close to doing those. So we have texts like this to expose to us the neglect of doing good and how God views that as sin. And so we repent by recognizing our sin. Number two, we grieve over our sin. When we're not doing the good that God requires, if we're a follower of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us, and he will discipline us, he will pursue us, he'll begin to break our hearts, not just over the wrong things we have done, he'll break our heart as well over the good that God has asked us to do that we have not done. And so the Holy Spirit creates in us not just a recognition of sin through the word, but gives us a brokenness over it. Number three, we confess it to God. We confess in prayer to God, acknowledging our sin to God and agreeing with him. And so we confess to him our sins of commission, and we confess to him our sins of omission. And if you'd all like me, my confession self is much more about my sins of commission than my sins of omission, but both are equally offensive to a holy God. So number four is closely related. We then ask his forgiveness. We recognize our sin, we grieve over it, we confess, and then we ask him to forgive us. Friends, we need forgiveness just as much for failing to do the good he's called us to do as we do for doing the wrong that he's told us not to do. So we ask him to forgive us for our sins. We need his forgiveness just as much for sinful anger as we do for neglecting to love someone that he's put in our path. We need his forgiveness for both. So we ask him to forgive us. Number five, we ask him to change us. 
True repentance isn't content running to God time after time. God, I didn't do that again. God, I didn't do that again. God, I didn't do that again. Forgive me. True repentance, yes, runs back to God and forgives, but it cries out going, Lord, please change me. Start changing my heart. I want to start doing the good you've called me to do. I want to start loving that person. I want to start being patient with that person. I want to start being gentle with that person. God, I want to start shepherding that person. God, I want to whatever it is he's told us in his word to do. True repentance is longing for grace to be changed to start doing that. And then finally, we believe he's going to give it. We believe it's not just enough to ask, but we ask believing because God has promised us that he will give grace. He's promised as we humble ourselves in repentance before him, he will give grace to us. But he gives more grace. He opposes pride, but he promises to give grace to the humble as we repent before him. So friends, when we see that gap between the good that we're supposed to do and the good that we do, we see that gap between who he's called us to be as we walk in faith and how we're trying to walk in faith. That is to lead us not to despair, not to try harder, but to lead us to cry out in repentance and in humility before him, confessing our shortcomings and asking him to give us grace to change us. Friends, our frequent ongoing sins of not doing the good God commands reminds us of our need for grace. Now with that in view, that's a fitting thing for us to reflect on for communion this morning. To be prepared to worship the Lord and thank him for the forgiveness that we have. Friends, communion reminds us in a very visual and powerful way of the awfulness of our sin. As we look at the elements in just a few minutes, and we see the juice, we're reminded of the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We see the bread, it reminds us that his body was broken on that cruel Roman cross and the worst form of execution ever invented by man. As we think about and remember Christ hanging on the cross, having been beaten and having been bruised and hanging there in agony and pain, as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It reminds us of the awfulness of our sin. But can I remind us, friends, based on this text, our sin of omission is just as awful as our sin of commission. Our sins of not loving someone and not being gentle is just as offensive to a holy God as our sins of anger or lying. The God, calls, God sees all sin as sin. And so as we think about the elements and think about the wrath of God being poured out against Christ on our behalf, it reminds us the offense of all of our sins, committed sins and omitted things as well. And for our sins of commission and our sins of omission, either Christ bears them all on our behalf on the cross, we declare that it is finished, we are forgiven, or we will have to bear them the punishment for them for all eternity. So communion reminds us of the awfulness of our sin, reminds us of the holiness of God and how he views sin. But friends, it also reminds us of the beauty of God's grace. Because if we receive the elements, we think about Christ crying out, it is finished, and the forgiveness of sins that he has given to us, we were reminded that we're forgiven. We're reminded of so much more than not just we're forgiven, but we're adopted into his family, that he took us, his enemies, and didn't just say, okay, you're not, I'm going to forgive you, but go stay over there. God brings us close because of what Christ has done. He not just forgives us of our sin, but he covers us in Christ's righteousness. This is absolutely amazing and strange to realize that when we approach God, not only does he see us forgiven, he sees all the perfect righteousness of Christ covering us. He sees Christ who always did the good he was supposed to do. What he did was always right, good, and beautiful. And he sees that, and he sees that on us, that not only was our sin put on Christ, but all of Christ's perfect righteousness was put on us. And when we celebrate communion, we're reminded of that. And the line of the psalm that we'll sing in a little bit as we close out, we'll be reminded of in communion once again that once his enemy, now we're seated at his table. And we can say, Jesus, thank you. So communion is a time for us to reflect on those things. As such, friends, it's only for people who know God, only for people who are followers of Christ, who believe that Christ died for their sins. 
or people who are trusting Jesus not only as their Savior, but as their Lord, who see that they have genuine faith because they know they have the Holy Spirit within them and because their faith is changing them. So if you're either watching online or even here in the room with us and you are not a follower of Christ, I just want to encourage you just to watch. This is not something to celebrate. This is something just to watch and to pray and ask God to show himself to you and to cry out to him, asking him to reveal himself to you and to seek his forgiveness. Friends, if you're a follower of Christ, it does not matter if you're a member of Gateway or not. If you love Jesus, you are welcome to come participate in communion with us. Now, in just a moment, we're going to have a time of reflection. But before we do that, I want to kind of explain how it's going to work this morning. Because it's different with COVID that we don't get to do it where we normally do, where you come down and receive the elements up front. So because of coronavirus is loaded, we will still give you a moment of reflection in just a few minutes. But first, what I want you to realize is in your seat, either under you or in front of you, you'll find a communion cup. It's got the bread and the juice already in there. We're going to not take it yet. We're going to wait and take it at the end all together after we have some time to read some scripture and reflect together. If you do not have a communion cup near you, when we get to a time of reflection in just a few minutes, there's additional elements here on the baptistry and additional elements in the back of the room by the sound booth. While we have our time of prayer and reflection, you're welcome to go get some. If you're in the gym, there's the table in the back. If you have dietary needs as well, there's gluten-free bread at both places as well as juice that doesn't have, have bread in the same container with us. So just be looking for those during our time of reflection and have those ready with you. So what I would like you to do for the next few minutes as Justin comes to play, um, we're going to take a few minutes to reflect. We don't want to take communion in a hasty way. We want to remember what this is about, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scripture. We want to remember the fact that all of our sin got put on Christ. We want to remember that all of Christ's righteousness got put on us. We want to remember and reflect on the fact that we were God's enemies, but now we're friends, that we were far off and now we're adopted, that we were strangers and now we belong. We want to think about these things and thank him for his grace. But our time of reflection is also time to confess sin. To ask God, search me. Are there unconfessed sins in my life? And to use this time to let the Holy Spirit search us and to pray. I want to share a prayer with you that comes out of an Anglican prayer book. I think it's really fitting for this morning. I encourage you to make this part of your prayer this morning. The prayer is, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and in deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Merciful God, we confess we have sinned against you in our thoughts, in our words, and what we've done, by what we've done and by what we have left undone. So even this morning as we have a time to reflect, let me encourage you to take some time and ask God, are there areas of sins of omission that I've been justifying in my life? Are there areas of sins of omission where I've not been doing the good you've called me to do and I've been excusing that, justifying that, or not even aware of it? Let the Holy Spirit search our hearts and as he does, let's confess them to him knowing that he gives grace and delights and news that he will not just forgive us, but he will cleanse us from that unrighteousness. Let's take a few minutes to reflect on that, and then we'll read some scripture and take the elements together.
And Lord, we are so grateful for the forgiveness that ours in Christ. That we recognize that we deserve nothing but wrath. That we've offended you by what we've thought, what we've said, what we've done. That goes against your word that is the exact opposite of what you've told us to do. Yet we also recognize, Lord, we have offended you. For we've not thought, we've not said, and we've not done the good and beautiful things that you require us to do as well. So Lord, we come to you this morning as your people, recognizing there's nothing we can bring to you apart from our sinfulness. We come out to you crying out for your grace and your forgiveness and your mercies, and Lord, we are so thankful you're a God who gives grace upon grace upon grace. And Lord, we realize the incredible cost of that grace we receive. Lord, forgive us for the times we've so taken for granted the grace that is ours in Christ. And we lose sight of the fact that that grace was purchased by Christ dying on the cross, by all the wrath that I should have experienced and these brothers and sisters have experienced. All that was put on Christ. And may we not lose sight of the incredible cost of our redemption, the incredible cost of the grace that we have received. And as we ponder those things, I pray that you would help us be thankful. You'd help us do what we just sung earlier today that was so beautiful that we want to exalt you, Lord. We want to cry out with the angels in heaven that you are holy, holy, holy. So Lord, would you turn our hearts from the things of this world that so entice us and turn our hearts to you and to your beauty and your glory. Lord, may that be transformative for us. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So you hear from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you will peel back and take the bread and remember that Christ's body was broken on the cross so that we could know God. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians after he tells us about the bread. He goes on and says in the verses that follow, in the same way he, Jesus, took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you see the juice and drink the juice. We're reminded, the scripture is so clear, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Lord, we are thankful for such a visual symbol of the juice and the bread reminding us of Christ's body and his blood. Lord, thank you for the reminders that we need of this. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would not lose sight of that in the week to come. Lord, with all the things that happen around us, God, that you would keep turning our minds back to the glories of Christ and the sacrifice that he has paid. And I pray that our hearts would be filled with thankfulness. Lord, I have an overflow of thankfulness, Lord. I pray would flow in our hearts a desire to put off from our lives those sins of commission, a desire to put away from us, not by our own strength, but by your strength, those things that we know are wrong, that we think and that we say and that we do. Lord, I pray this week as we 
with hearts of thankfulness for all that you have done. So we remember your grace that you would also stir our hearts just as much, O Lord, to feel the sense of conviction we need for not doing the beautiful and good things you call us to do. And may we find this week new affections and new desires that, Lord, we cannot manufacture, but have come from you. Lord, to want to do, to want to think, to want to say those things that you would have us to do so that you are glorified. Lord, so we find the joy as your kingdom advances and your fame goes forth. So Lord, with hearts of thankfulness, we say thank you for that grace upon grace that you have lavished upon us. And that we will give you all the praise. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song, Jesus, thank you.
seated at your table, God. Even as we look at this text today, God, just say, for those that know what's right and don't know it is sin, God, Lord. God, as we see in Romans, it's your kindness, God, that leads us to repentance, God. Father, left to our own ways, God, left in our own fleshly desires, Father, we will choose sin every time, God, and we will just walk in that sin and that darkness and just love every minute of it, God. And Father, in your kindness, God, you offer way, God. You lead us to repentance, God. God, you show us, you convict us, you break our hearts, God, and you show us areas of our life, Lord, where we need to turn and repent, Lord, and give these things over to you, God. So, God, I pray that now that's what you do, Father, Lord. Open our eyes, God. God, in your kindness, Father, lead us to repentance, God. Show us areas where we are falling short, God. Show us areas where we need you, God. To step in, Lord, and just say, God, we cannot do this on our own, Father. God, help me. God, help me do this, God, and lead us to repent so that we can live a life, God, that glorifies you, Father. That we can walk in your ways, God, and grow in your ways to worship you, Father. Be with us now as we go, God. Thank you for allowing us today, God, to reflect on that cross, God. To reflect on that, on the bread, God, representing your body being broken for us, God, and your blood being poured out as we partake in this juice, God. Thank you for allowing us to remember that today, God. So your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.